This is Decoding Healthcare. I'm Kevin Ban, And I'm John Fox. And today we're going to adjust our lens from the big picture national level and drill way down to the local level to talk about the role of the community in healthcare. That's right, John. You know, we hear it all the time, the old adage that all healthcare is local. But today what we're really going to do is drive down into that. What does it actually mean to practice in a community? What does it mean to treat a community? And how do you go about breaking down those barriers that often prevent collaboration at the community level? To answer these questions and more, we'll be taking you to the community of Trenton, New Jersey, where we'll meet Dr. Kemi Alley. Kemi is a pediatrician and CEO of Henry J. Austin, a federally qualified health center in Trenton. She's worked there for 20 years and knows a lot about the community she calls home. It has a very uh, traditional or old world sense about it. So there are many individuals who are born and live in Trenton and have never left Trenton. So, Kevin, I did a little research over the weekend. Hold on a second. When you say research, you're referring to Googling, right? Okay, fair enough. Anyway, in my Googling, I learned a few fun facts about Trenton, New Jersey. Did you know it's the capital of New Jersey? I did know that because while I'm not born in NJ, I was raised in New Jersey, so I did know that Trenton is its capital. Oh, fair enough. But did you also know that it's the site of George Washington's first victory against the British where he famously crossed the Delaware? I feel like I should know that. I don't know that. And it's the birthplace of a lot of famous people, including the one and only Sean Corey Carter. Again, I feel like I should know that name. I have no idea who that is. How about if I call him Jay-Z? I've definitely heard of Jay-Z. Now, despite its storied past, Trenton, like many old industrial cities, has fallen on some hard times. And, you know, as far as healthcare statistics go, as many as 31% of the adults in Trenton have hypertension, 16% have diabetes, and substance abuse and mental health issues are far higher even than the national averages. But that's where Kemi's story comes in. Hers is a story of competing hospitals and health systems coming together, sharing data, and collaborating to turn things around in Trenton. Let's have a listen. You have a a unique community, a traditional community, facing significant healthcare challenges relative to the surrounding area. It seems like you and other healthcare providers in the area have come together around a unique model for addressing that that's really about creating a network of care across the community. Can you tell us a little more about this Trenton Health Team Initiative, how it got formed, how it works? Yeah, so in the city of Trenton, there are two major hospital systems. One is Capital Health and one was St. Francis Medical Center. Capital Health had two campuses in the city of Trenton. In 2006, they decided that they were going to move one of their campuses. In fact, it was the larger campus outside of the city. The mayor at the time really wanted to know what was the effect of that going to be on our city residents, and he commissioned an outside consultant to really take a look at what impact will this have on the city with one of the largest hospital systems moving out of the city. And basically what the consulting group found was no surprise in that the majority of individuals within our city use our two, at that time, three emergency rooms for their primary care needs. 
there was a lack of coordination among the major health systems. There was a lack of information sharing. So one hospital didn't know what the other hospital had just done the day before and they were duplicating services. There was a lack of communication with specialty care. And so the Trenton Health Plan was born. And at that time, 2006, 2007, it was the two major hospitals. It was our federally qualified health center, Henry J. Austin, and it was the city represented by the Department of Health. And so one of the first things we sort of outlined was this idea of, well, sharing information and that in order to really identify what some of the needs were at that time, we thought we at least needed to all have an understanding of what the data is. And the best way to do that was share information with one another. So one of the first initiatives that we worked on as a collaborative was our health information exchange. And how do we each exchange information in a way that's accurate, reliable, and we can use it to really think about what the needs in our community are and begin to address them. Was that immediately adopted by everyone? My experience has been, and we've discussed this before on Decoding Healthcare, that data uh, has been used as a strategic tool, as almost competitive advantage, and so people are reluctant to share data. When you guys first floated that idea, how was it received? So the sharing of data, it was it was interesting. So, so we knew we wanted to share data, and there was lots of conversation when it came to what data we're going to share. And that process took almost a year. So it wasn't something immediate, but we were all open and willing to negotiate what elements of data we each felt comfortable sharing to get to the end goal of what we wanted in terms of healthy city residents and how do we come to that. And so, yeah, it was a process. I think more importantly, which is is interesting, when you know, so we started in 2006 and then we had lots of conversation for many years. So by no means was this, you know, a one-year, two-year project. We started conversations in 2006 and seven. Our health information exchange wasn't up and running until 2012. And so as you can imagine, then there was lots of conversation, you know, and of course, one of the key conversations was, well, who is going to pay for this? <laughs> and at one point, things sort of slowed down when that conversation came about, well, who's going to pay for this HIE, Health Information Exchange? And then we began to look for alternative funding streams through grants and private foundations in order to supply the startup of our HIE, which is what we did um, eventually. And now it is funded almost 60% by fees of the members once we've established that sort of return on investment, that ROI, that there really is value in this exchange of data. But yeah, that was a, it was interesting, but I will say it was a very thoughtful process. And I would say they often, when you have competitive institutions coming together, those discussions often take years to accomplish. Were there other challenges? I mean, you, you have information sharing between competitors, which, as Kevin pointed out, is not typical. But you have also organizational challenges or cultural differences in how the organizations run or who leads the way in, in the initiative. I, I would say the challenges come with understanding what the different agendas are for each hospital and being open and realizing that there are different agendas. 
and then deciding where can we align given our differences, given what our unique agendas are. And I think if you never have that conversation, you try and skirt around it, that's when you have problems. When people don't say, look, I do cardiovascular care and I have a cardiovascular unit and I don't want to have that on the table as part of our discussions, or I do laparoscopic procedures in GI, and that's going to be our niche, and I don't want that area on the table for discussion. If you never sort of get to what those issues are, then you're bound to have these landmines, and so having open, upright conversations in the beginning about what is the agenda for each of the different institutions, okay, we've put that on the table. Now, where can we be aligned? You know, so for example, we can all be aligned in diabetes and our diabetic patients and those that are resistant or very complicated to achieve improvement. And that's something that plagues all of us. And we spend, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars as a health system in the city trying to treat our diabetic patients. Ah, we can all be aligned around that. We can all come to the table to talk about those patients. Speaking of diabetes specifically, I I know back in October you announced that you secured a five-year grant from the Merck Foundation to tackle diabetes across the community. I imagine that was one of these crystallizing moments of having to come together and uh, apply for and organize around securing that and, and now initiating the work together. Can you tell us a little more about how that came together? Yes, as we were meeting and forming, or as you say, crystallizing the needs of our city, and it was very apparent those things that came to the top, as I said it, and diabetes was sort of one of the top five issues identified in our community data and then definitely validated by the city residents then it was really clear that this is something, again, that we could work on together and that this was something that was important not just to us but to the city and the community at large. And so I would say it started with that. It started with that identification that this was an important issue and that, yes, we could all be aligned around this. And then it was a question of, well, how do we find funding and support in order to create meaningful projects meaningful initiatives in the city that will have an impact on the people we serve. And so often you have to be very careful because sometimes collaboratives will come together around the dollars. And I think that is is almost a mistake in a way. You, You really need to identify what the needs are and what the community wants, and then you find the dollars for it. Because then you know you have buy-in, not just from the entities, but you have buy-in from the community and the people that you're actually going to serve. And so that's what we did. Diabetes was identified in our community needs assessment, and then it was a matter of looking for and waiting for the right opportunities that fit our plan, that fit the plan that we've outlined in terms of addressing the needs of our community. And that's how the Merck grant came to be. So when we were applying, it was relatively an easy process because we had already been engaged. We had already been communicating as a group and a collaborative. So nurses from Capitol Health, nurses from St. Francis, physicians from each of the hospitals, as well as administrators had already been around the table talking about the need, talking about possibilities of change, talking about outcomes and what would it look like if we could 
impact this chronic disease. And what does that look like? Give us an example, maybe boots on the ground. What type of program came of this type of collaboration? One of the examples was one of the serious uh, morbidities around diabetes is um, blindness. And what can we do to prevent that? And of course, there's just, when you look at the cost-benefit ratio, it's huge, right? And so one of the initiatives was, can we have retinal scanning machines and can we incorporate that into the city, across the city, in our primary care offices so that when someone comes in for diabetes, we can immediately do a scan of their eyes as opposed to referring them to the optometrist, and we know nine times out of ten they are not going to go, and we can immediately scan their eyes. And so through this grant, we've purchased retinal scanners that will be distributed you know, throughout the city. And more importantly, that data of the findings goes into our EMRs, which then goes into our HIE. So we'll have collective aggregate data on the ability to screen and test and then prevent chronic eye disease as a result of this intervention. Have you connected a pipe with ophthalmology as well? So you're able to scan. And it's interesting because recently I went to the optometrist and she didn't like something that she saw, took a picture, which I shot to my friend that I went to medical school with, (laughs) who's an ophthalmologist and who came back right with an answer. And I was like, wait, we should be doing this all the time. All the time. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. Yeah. Kemi, let's talk about the broader community. So the Trenton Health team came together, a number of traditional provider organizations, including Henry J. Austin, um, where you are. But obviously, community health extends upstream and beyond those traditional providers. And the issues that that you're dealing with in, in those communities hypertension, obesity, substance abuse, you have to bring in other community partners. Can you talk about how you did that? Who did you bring in and what role did they play in? And how did that work, bringing in those non-traditional, non-clinical community partners? Yes, it's so funny because now this is what all the literature talks about, these, uh, uh, as you said, non-traditional, collaborative, really diverse groups, networks that come together around initiatives. When we started back in 2010, 2011, we started with a few patients and we said, let's start at the top of the iceberg before we really get to what's underneath the water surface. And we took some patients as identified, and this was before we had the HIE even, uh, and we took a few patients that had just multiple emergency room visits, multiple hospital stays, and really were just very vulnerable, complicated individuals. And Actually, the first meeting was a group of physicians, and we were around the table, and we said, well, this is Miss Jones, and, you know, we had all the necessary legal requirements in order to share information, and we said, this is Mrs. Jones, how can we help her? And when we looked at her history, looked at her information, we said, well, there's more people that need to be at this table to really get a sense and understanding of how we can help Miss Jones, and then we brought in nurses, and nurses were really key in saying, well, you know, Mrs. Jones, not only does she have, you know, diabetes and cardiovascular disease and asthma, 
but she also has some mental health needs or she also has some behavioral health needs that wasn't captured. Or she's also having problems with her housing the last time she was here and she was having some food insecurity. And very quickly we realized that in order to improve her outcomes, her health outcomes, we needed to have other individuals at this table. So we needed to have social services. We needed housing, the housing authority, the food bank, because there was food insecurities. We realized that some individuals, the reason they came to the emergency room so often is they didn't have insurance, so they didn't have a medical home, so we needed someone from the Medicaid office. And before you knew it, the group that started with four or five physicians was over the course of the year, a really diverse and rich group of individuals from almost every agency within our city. And then that grew to how do we then prevent individuals from really falling into these categories of preventable chronic diseases? And what interventions could we begin to put in place to intervene so that we didn't have someone in the emergency room 100 times in a year, or we didn't have someone re-hospitalized 20 times in a year. And that was really, again, very interesting, very thoughtful conversations. There are a lot of pieces to that puzzle. So how did you coordinate all the communication? I mean, you have all different types of providers at this point, whether they be clinical or non-clinical. How did you keep everyone on the same page? It really was, uh, we started with having regular meetings. And so we would have regular uh, lunch meetings and we would invite everyone to the table. And what was really interesting... And, Food and how attracts we, you would say, well, doctors and others is the, is the takeaway Exactly. And the que- that says, right. So the question was, how do we get everyone to come at first? Right. And so that's where I think it was very... Innovative, and I can't quite say if it was intentional or not, uh, but we said, well, let's pick the individuals, which is why we started with individuals specifically at first to say, these are the individuals that we all know. And when Mrs. Jones walks in, everybody's like, hi, Mrs. Jones, you're back in the ER. Or, you know, this is the patient that comes into the private practice office and the nurse whispers to the doctor, Mrs. Jones is here. You know, so this is the patient that everybody knew. So when we came together, those first few meetings, and we we listed the patients, we could all identify with, ah, yes, everybody knows Mrs. Jones. Okay, what can we do so that she does come to the hospital less, she does come to the ER less, she does get the preventative care that her doctor has been asking her to get for years, and it was something that resonated with everyone. And after the first few cases, there really was the sense of, if I work as a group, I can solve my problems as well as I'm helping the patient. It's a direct benefit to me as that primary care provider or that nurse or that emergency room nurse or that social worker because now I have a group of individuals that I can reach out to in helping to solve the needs of the patients that I really did want to help. I really am here to serve, but I just couldn't do it on my own. You mentioned Mrs. Jones quite a bit, and it's a great analogy of just taking a single person, but of course... You're building a system that works and is replicable for Trenton ongoing. So how do you systematize the processes that are working for, you know, Mrs. Jones or the small population of super utilizers 
that Mrs. Jones represents. So you're building this ongoing capital for the community and it isn't just, you know, reinventing it every time Mrs. Jones walks in. Yes. So that's a really important question. And so as the four entities at the two major hospitals, Henry J. Austin, the City Department of Health for Trenton, we soon began to realize that we needed to do just that. We needed to be able to create a structure around what we were doing as we thought of putting preventions into place. So we were now no longer just talking about that one individual or two individuals or 10 individuals, but we really were moving and shifting to say, how can we take our lessons learned and really create interventions that impact a population? We knew we needed structure around that. And at the time, we were meeting almost every week or every other week having these discussions. And that was the other thing. We're like, we can't continue to do that forever either. And one of the things that was a light bulb for us is let's start an organization that will do this. Let's start an organization that will create structure around the lessons we've learned and spread them. And this will be the mission of this organization. Yeah, there's a term I saw from uh, Glenn Mays at the College of Public Health at University of Kentucky, which was this idea of comprehensive system capital, which is such a great and interesting concept of how do you create something systemic that has sustainability and value over time. Right. And is this kind of, I think what you're talking about is a learning system, right, where others can come to Trenton and learn how to do this. It's not a one-off. Is this what you read in your free time? Oh yeah, that's how I have. That's this, <laughs> this is how full-on nerdiness. That's how I put myself to sleep at night. <laughs> I was going to say it's that's brilliant, but it's full-on nerdy. It's great. <laughs> hey, if the shoe fits, wear it, right? <laughs> so, I hate to do this, but I'm always the hard guy who has to do this. Okay. Um, people talk about really wonderful uh, work that they're doing, and I think that is enough. <laughs> but I am going to ask about outcomes. Ah. How do you measure this? What are the outcomes? Can you give us at least some metrics or even anecdotal successes that you've had? So one of the things we did early on is an access improvement initiative. And again, we did it across the whole city. We met as a collaborative. We tracked that data. So we know that wait times across the city went from five weeks and six weeks to three days and two days to get an appointment. And so metrics like that are tracked over time as we do collaborative initiatives. And even individual initiatives, we often report to up to the Trenton Health team. And then we've had a lot of um, individual successes as well. And sometimes those are really, really powerful. And so one example that comes to my mind, one of our really early original successes was a gentleman who had renal disease. And he was one of the individuals that frequently use the emergency rooms. And what we also found in our data is that they not only use one emergency room, but they went back and forth, which is the power of data, because both of the hospitals didn't realize that, that, you know, they went back and forth between Capitol Hospital, St. Francis, and this one individual had something like 200 visits in a year. And every time he came, he was close to renal failure because he had not gone for his dialysis. He could not sit through his dialysis procedure. And this has been going on for months. 
And as you can imagine, this is very expensive hospitalizations that are occurring because you can go through dialysis and uh, literally had hundreds and thousands. I think it was somewhere to $550,000 a year for his care. And so with that and meeting in our collaborative and our network and talking about this individual, we had someone from the Trenton Health Team. So the Trenton Health Team has care coordinators. That's one of the specific initiatives we set up with the Trenton Health Team. And one of the care coordinators went out to meet this individual and really talk with him and get to know him and understand what his individual needs were and how we might be able to help him because all the traditional things hadn't worked. He had gotten calls and he'd gotten letters and, you know, people had asked him to come for follow-up and all those traditional things hadn't worked. And it wasn't until this care coordinator from the Trenton Health Team went out, went out to him in his home and sat with him and he really said, you know what, I can never sit through my dialysis because I just get too anxious. And she said, well, what do you like to do? And he says, well, I like to draw. I really love to draw. And so she went out and for nine ninety nine, she bought him some drawing pencils and a pad. And the next time he sat through his entire dialysis. And every time after that, he sat through his dialysis. And since then, he never had an unnecessary hospitalization. He never had another emergency room visit after that. And so, again, for the cost of nine ninety nine, you've just avoided half a million dollars a year cost. Wow. That's a phenomenal story. Yeah. I, love, I love those stories. Oh, it's, it's about connecting <laughs> with people, right? Like, And the right. truth is that I'm an emergency physician. I may have seen that gentleman innumerable times, mm-hmm. but... I don't have the time or my I'm yep. not even focused in that direction. But what these care managers can do in terms of getting to know people, listening to them and then responding in such a way that a, a you know, a sketch pad for 10 bucks um, well, you, makes a huge difference is Yeah, is, you're treating the whole person. You're you're not treating them as That a, is the key. Treating the whole person. And I I'm I an emergency doctor. What do you guys yeah. mean by that? <laughs> No, you're exactly right. And I say that has been the hallmarks of all of the initiatives of the Trent Health Team, of Henry J. Austin. And really one of the areas across the city we've been aligned to is how do we treat the whole person? And in that, you realize that's when you know you've got to have various community stakeholders in this discussion. If I'm really going to treat the whole person, because we realize when one piece of that person is not whole, when one piece of that need is not met, they will continue to rotate and, you know, that sort of endless loop within the healthcare system. So even if I'm trying to address their diabetes and their hypertension, but they're homeless, so even if I'm trying to treat their asthma, but they can't afford their food or their medication, they're still going to rotate through the healthcare system. And so if we can treat the whole person, then we can achieve what we want, a whole, healthy, happy human being. John, I really love this story for so many reasons. Kemi's optimism in the face of some very steep challenges is truly inspiring. It really is. You know what struck me in listening to her? 
What she and the Trenton Health team are doing just makes so much sense. This idea of centering care around the patient instead of around institutions and treating the whole person and not the disease, it's a no-brainer. It is a no-brainer, but unfortunately, it's just not the reality in healthcare in the United States in 2018. Let's take data, for example. It's so siloed that it doesn't follow the patient, and therefore it really doesn't give us the insights that we need. What does that lead to? Increased utilization and ultimately not the care that we would want to provide. Absolutely. And the Trenton Health team has a health information exchange, which is a start. It's a good start, but it's still not the kind of seamless data access that you really want, where you have this ability to form care teams around a patient collaborate across sites of care. And I really liked how Kemi was talking about this shift to value-based care and how it's bringing people who are traditionally competitors around the same table, literally. With, with free food. <laughs> and there's nothing more compelling in the hospital than free food. But the truth is that these types of incentives are a game changer in that they really spark new ways of thinking, radical solutions. Think about buying a $10 sketchbook and the impact that can have on a person who's on dialysis. And speaking of radical solutions, in our next episode, we talk to a Bay Area Chief Innovation Officer about the near-term promise of an open network and how APIs are making it faster and cheaper to invent and test new solutions to old problems. Decoding Healthcare is a production of Athena Health. Our producer is Nikki Zace. Our engineer, composer, and all-around Mike of all trades is Mike Moschetto. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Athena Health. I'm John Fox. And I'm Kevin Bann.